The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 128. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It has been a crazy week for me this past week. Twitter was insane for me this week. Something happened to me on Twitter that has never happened to me before. I've been on Twitter since probably 2015, and... I think I've seen everything on Twitter, but this is a new one for me. It was crazy. I'm going to tell you all about what happened to me, but first, let me give you some backstory. So here's what happened. Earlier this week, as many of you might know, if you're kind of following what's going on in the indie music world and and you've sort of heeded the lessons of this podcast to kind of get more involved and read more about what's going on in the industry, if you're one of those people, you might know that Variety reported this past week that hip-hop artist Cardi B was being sued by her ex-manager, Clenard Shaft Raphael, for $10 million. Uh, Shaft has alleged that Cardi B terminated her management agreement with Shaft, despite Cardi being allegedly bound by a management agreement to keep him around. And this is a crazy story. We hear about these a lot. Uh, It feels like every few months there's another story about a manager saying, a famous artist fired me and he or she wasn't allowed to because of our contract and now I'm going to sue. But here's another one. and This one's crazy and it got even crazier as the week progressed. Before we talk much more about what happened in this case, I want to talk about what happened to me this past week. Because of course I'm going to make this Cardi B story all about me. But when this story first broke, I read the initial article. Because it was sort of the initial article, it didn't have much information about it. All it said was that there's a lawsuit, Shaft is suing Cardi B, and then the lawsuit had a few quotes from the legal complaint that Shaft filed, but there wasn't much else in there. But I'm a music lawyer, I'm a person on Twitter, and so a music law article popped out, so I tweeted about it. And all I wrote was a very simple, very innocent little tweet. I just just left a small opining on the situation. I tweeted out... I'm interested in the details of this. Was there a written management agreement? If there wasn't, then this could be a giant mess for everyone involved. I mean, it will be a giant mess anyway, but it will be giant-er if we are dealing with an oral contract. Yes, the that grammatical nightmare of the word giant-er was in there. I spelled it G-I-A-N-T hyphen E-R in case anybody was wondering. But that's all I wrote. I said, oh, I wonder if this case has a written management agreement or if it was an oral deal, if it's an oral deal, um... Cardi B is going to be in for a big, big mess. That's all I wrote. And it was the kind of tweet that you'd expect an entertainment lawyer to tweet about a case like this. So I made a little tweet, you know, doing the entertainment lawyer thing, writing about entertainment law, tweeted it out. And then I went to go have dinner and watch some Netflix with the wife. All of a sudden, about halfway through the Netflix show that we were watching, I hear my phone a few feet away from me on the table just start vibrating uncontrollably. Like, over and over and over again. And, you know, it was like six or seven of these in succession. They just kept coming. Over and over and over. And I was like, nobody can text message me this much. Like, why am I just getting all these texts over and over? It will not stop. And I look at my phone and I see notifications. Uh, A bunch of people liking my tweet. Retweeting my tweet. This boring, innocuous entertainment law tweet. 
you know, the, a, a tweet which, by the way, became obsolete pretty quick because within a few hours of my tweet, other media outlets started to report that there was, in fact, a written management agreement. So my point was fairly moot. But that didn't stop all of these people out in the Twitter world from liking and retweeting the crap out of this tweet that I wrote. I could not figure out why. I've I've tweeted things that I thought were more consequential than this, like, innocent little tweet I made where I just wondered about something. But just over and over, just the notifications would not stop. And so I had to open Twitter and figure out what the hell was going on and I see that Twitter had apparently taken my tweet and added it to what they call a Twitter moment they do these like Twitter moments where they take news stories and then they show like certain people's tweets about the news story they'll take like three or four tweets that are out there that they think are interesting enough about the news story and then they'll add it to the Twitter moments and they put it right on the front page of Twitter and anyway um Twitter had decided that my tweet was worthy of a Twitter moment, even though I feel like I've definitely tweeted out more interesting stuff than that, but that was the one they took. Um, but, and you know, just this little moment about the Cardi B lawsuit and they wanted to, you know, feature it. And there it was. And apparently when your tweet is featured in a featured in a Twitter moment, all hell breaks loose. You know, I'm looking at it now, this innocuous little tweet of mine now has, 919 likes. It's been viewed over 500,000 times. And that's in stark contrast to the rest of my tweets because I think other than after that tweet, my next most liked tweet probably has like eight likes maybe. So yeah, I'm not used to this kind of, you know, very brief Twitter celebrity. And um, it's just crazy. But I got to experience the full power of Twitter this week. And now I have a bunch of random Cardi B fans all up in my mentions, checking out my stuff, like, you know, replying to a bunch of tweets I have. So if any of you Cardi B fans are out there and you have found your way to this podcast, um, welcome to the Break the Business podcast. We talk about indie music. We talk about entertainment law. Uh, we help indie artists move their careers forward. We talk precious little about Cardi B. I hope that's not a problem for you all. Thanks for listening. But the good news for you Cardi B fans is that you are that are listening out there is that I actually do want to talk a little bit more about Cardi B this week because this case is interesting. So uh, if you are a Cardi B fan and you're looking for just some info about Cardi B, you want some Cardi B talk for this week, this podcast is kind of for you because we're going to talk about this case a little bit. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. Our guest this week, a fantastic music business professional. Love this guy, James Shotwell. He's he's held many different hats in the music industry, but he is coming to us now as the Director of Customer Engagement for Holix. Uh, Holix is a promotional distribution company, and what they do, which is pretty cool, is they specialize in helping artists digitally watermark their music so that they can send that music to bloggers and other media outlets without fear of their music getting pirated. It's kind of cool. It's like a fingerprinting signature thing where it's watermarked, but the watermark isn't audible, but you can still keep track of the music and who it's sent to if you send it to a blogger. Really, really cool stuff. I want to talk to him all about it. And apparently he was also the tour manager for the Vans Warped Tour, which I loved growing up. And so I'm hoping he's got at least one good Vans Warped Tour story for us. I'm sure he's got all kinds of behind-the-scenes craziness that he can tell us about. That's all coming up in the second segment. Do not go anywhere. 
In the third segment, we're going to be joined by our favorite Break the Business co-host, Dave. It has been way too long since we've had a Dave visit. I miss the guy terribly. I love it when he comes on the show and just makes us all laugh. And he's going to be calling in in the third segment because he has just seen the movie Avengers Infinity War and he is ready to give us a completely spoiler-free review. Yes, don't worry, folks. It's going to be spoiler-free. I know a lot of us haven't seen it yet, including yours truly. And so I'm excited to have him on to just talk about it because I want to get more excited about this movie. I'm so stoked. I'm so pumped. I wanted to see it this weekend, but I figured the crowds were just going to be too insane. And so uh, Dave's going to get us all excited about it. And he probably talks about other movies as well. And look, let me be real with you guys. You know how Dave works. I'm telling you he's coming on to talk about Avengers Infinity War, but... You know, he's going to just talk about whatever he wants. He never listens to me. He never stays on topic. He's, you know, it's going to be fun, whatever it is. So stick around for that in the third segment. Okay, that's what's coming up. Let's go back to Cardi B. As we said before, uh, Cardi B is being sued by her ex-manager Shaft. He's saying, look, Cardi, we had these contracts in place. I'm supposed to be your exclusive manager. You got rid of me and thus you've breached the contracts. So and now I'm suing you. Give me $10 million pay up. That's what he's saying. Now we move to April 27th. Cardi B's camp has responded. According to page six, Cardi's attorney, Paul Licalsi, has accused Shaft of breaching fiduciary duties against self-dealing, avoiding conflicts of interest. He's saying that uh, he has siphoned earnings from Cardi B, has signed her to additional deals that took 50% of her label royalties, 50% of the music copyrights, and 25% of her other earnings. So he's got this management deal, and he used his management authority to set up other deals, allegedly, that has siphoned more money to him. Big mess. What a disaster. And I wish I could tell you, listeners, that messy deals like that are rare in the music industry, in deals between artists and managers. But they're not. If, of all the contractual relationships that can exist in the music industry, there is none that presents more dangers to artists than the relationship between artists and their managers. And look, I'm always hating on label deals around here, but labels, label deals are bad, but they are a close second to artist-manager relationships, which can be a real cluster bleep, all right? It can be a real mess. And I know a lot of you indie artists out there are perhaps looking for managers to help you with your career. Some of you might already be signed to managers, but when it comes to the artist-manager relationship, I'm telling you guys, be careful because it is a damn minefield out there. And look, don't think that I'm just, if there are managers listening right now, like, don't think I'm just hating on you. I have lots of friends who are managers. I think a skilled manager can be a valuable ally for any artist. And if you are one of those good managers, if you're one of those managers who has integrity, then bless you. A great manager is worth their weight in gold, but there are a lot of bad apples out there. And a bad manager can ruin your career and can ruin your life. And they can certainly make things difficult for you if your relationship with that manager turns sour as appears to be the case for Cardi B. So with that case on our minds, I feel now is as good of a time as any for all of us to kind of revisit some of the old guidelines that we've talked about. So on past episodes of this podcast, we've often talked about what are good guidelines for you artists to keep in mind when you're considering whether to set up a relationship with your manager. Like, what are some things that you should keep in mind when you're setting up that deal? What should the relationship with your manager look like? All that kind of stuff. You know, you're going to work closely with this person. You're going to be giving that manager a lot of authority over your career. You're going to be putting a lot of trust in that person. That person's going to be touching your money. 
And so things can easily go wrong. And so when I work with clients that tell me they're looking for a manager, I'll sit them down and say, okay, here are some guidelines you want to keep in mind. Here are some rules you're going to need to follow. And I want to go over those rules right here before we bring in James Shotwell. But let's kind of do it in a fun way because as Dave, our, our segment three guest has often told me, when I just go through lists on the podcast, you get bored. So if we're going to do a list this week, let's kind of make it fun. I'm, I'm going to do these rapid fire. We're going to put some music behind it and just, you know, kind of, kind of boogie a little bit as we learn about artist manager relationships. So uh, can we get some music for this? Okay. All right. All right. I'm digging. I'm digging. I like it. All right. Here we go. Guidelines for good artist manager relationships. Rule number one, don't get a manager because you think they will help you get more famous. It is not a manager's job to make you famous. It is your job. A manager is there to help you manage your fame once you have it. If you're early in your career and you're getting a manager hoping they're going to take you under their wing and make you a star, there's a good chance they're going to exploit you. No, rule number two, no oral management agreements. Get every term of that agreement in writing and make sure that a lawyer reviews the crap out of it. No handshake deals. A lot of lawsuits can happen from oral agreements. Rule number three, speaking of lawyers, a manager is not your lawyer. Even if that manager is a licensed attorney, they're not your lawyer. Get a separate lawyer to review all of the deals that you have with that manager, including the deals that your manager helps set up. Having a separate lawyer can keep that manager from screwing you down the road. Rule number four, it is not a manager's job to find you gigs. Seriously, that's a booking agent's job. You want gigs? Get a booking agent. If your manager's going out and finding you work, that manager's acting illegally in most states because you got to be a licensed agent to do that, including in California. And so that manager does not understand this industry, and so they got to go. Rule number five, no momagers, no dadagers. Don't let your parents manage your career. Your parents are supposed to be looking out for your best interests. Your manager's supposed to be looking out for your career. Those are different jobs, and you want them to be done by different people or else you're going to have a big conflict of interest on your hands. No momagers, no dadagers. Rule number six, audit right. Audit rights, audit rights. If your manager is touching your money, make sure your deal gives you the rights to have an independent CPA audit their books on the reg. Cardi B has been saying in this case that Shaft's been siphoning her earnings. You know how that could have been avoided? With a good audit rights provision. Rule number seven, make your management deal at will. If your manager... Uh, doesn't if your management deal that's all right if your management deal doesn't let you fire that manager at any time or let that manager quit at any time then you're at risk of being exploited your manager works for you if your relationship with that manager is going bad you need to make sure you can show them the door no being stuck in bad relationships and rule number eight make sure that you're the boss make sure that deal spells out that the manager works for you and not the other way around you get to make the final decisions this is your career you are the ceo and your manager is the CEO. Oh, whew. I am tired. That was, it's been a long time since I've done a rapid fire list like that. I'm, I'm sweating over here. Okay. And now my voice is completely shot. Well, there we go, folks. You follow that list. You're going to be better off. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I've seen a lot of these relationships fall apart. I've learned a thing or two about working with clients on this stuff. All right. I, I mean, I'm telling you that that list that I've come up with, that is the product of seeing many artists' hearts broken, seeing many lives ruined by bad management deals. Follow those tips. You're going to be in much better shape. And I cannot emphasize this enough. 
Do not set up a management deal without a lawyer representing you. Seriously. And if you're saying to me, look, I want, I can't afford a lawyer right now to set up this management deal, so I, I'm not going to get one, then guess what? You're not successful enough to need a manager yet. If you can't afford a lawyer, then you haven't made enough money to get your career to the point where you need a manager. So keep hustling, keep managing your own career until you have the career, a career that is complicated enough that you can't pull all the levers on your own, and then you bring in a manager. Uh, until then, keep hustling. Ooh, goodness gracious, my voice is shot. James Shotwell is going to be coming up next. Speaking of shot, keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He is an acclaimed music industry professional whose job titles have included being on the masthead of multiple entertainment publications, being the tour manager for the Vans Warp Tour, being the host of the Inside Music podcast, and much more. He is currently the director of customer engagement for Holix, a leading promotional distribution company. You can find out more about his work by visiting www.jamesshotwell.com. Ladies and gentlemen, James Shotwell is on the Break the Business podcast. James, thank you so much for being on with us. Hello. Oh, How are you? Uh, doing great. Great to have you here. So there's so much on this resume that really impresses me. But the thing that really sticks out to me because it speaks to my childhood is that you were the tour manager for the Vans Warp Tour. I loved this concert growing up. Let me just ask you, can you give us one crazy story that you have from the Vans Warp Tour? There must have been a bunch of them. I won't tell you who. But on the year I was on Vans Warped Tour, I know that there was an artist that is still a pretty popular alternative heavy rock band whose lead singer chooses to sleep on a, in a coffin every night. What? And they bring it with them on tour. So they, on their tour bus, they just have the coffin there, and that's his or her coffin. And so does, does yep. the, is the, okay, I have so many coffin questions. Is the coffin closed while this person sleeps? Uh, I believe so. As I understand it, they purchased the coffin when they were still in high school, or at least their first coffin. I'm not sure if it was the same coffin, but this is something that they had done earlier in life and had kind of become a thing that they did. And so uh, when I was on like my very first day on the tour, it was something that I learned about. And it is a true fact about an artist on Warp Tour. And I was on it in, let's say, between 2011 and 2013. We'll give it a few years to kind of help people maybe get some guesses but uh that's all that's all i'll say on that all right listeners if you anyone within the sound of my voice check out the vans warp tour lineup from 2011 to 2013 and you know send some emails break the business at gmail.com at ryan k-a-i-r let's see if we can maybe send some guesses to james maybe we can get the answer out of him that is a great story james you brought it I try. Man, that's incredible. All right. So <laughs> digital promotion is a big part of what all artists have to do to succeed. And it's something that you've really excelled at in a number of different roles in the music industry. And so I'm glad to have you on here to talk about it. What would you say is an example of something that artists could do in their careers tomorrow that they're not really doing enough of that can help with their promotion? 
I think the easiest step and one that I see most artists miss is simply providing everything that somebody needs in order to help you get ahead. I receive probably 200 to 300 emails a day, a lot of them from unsigned artists and smaller artists, and even small publicists working with artists, and most of them don't include the things I need to actually write about a band. I try to look at every interaction that I go to in the music industry as something that may only get to happen once. I may only get that person's attention one time. So I want to make sure that they have everything they need to understand what I'm trying to tell them about. So if I'm an artist and I want you to you know, write about my band or sign my band, there should probably be a photo and a link to the music. And you should probably describe yourself in a bio and The more steps, the more roadblocks, as I like to say, that you put between me and being able to promote your music with some sort of knowledge about what it is, the less likely I am to actually engage with your product. I'm looking for something that makes my life as easy as possible and is also very good. You kind of need the one-two package. But if you're a really good band that makes it very hard to find you online or find the materials, the things I need to help help get the word out about you, I'm not going to be that likely to do that work myself. So music photo bio are there any other pieces that you definitely want to make sure in that package i always like to say include at least one social media platform you don't have to be on everything you only need to be where your fans are but as a someone that who you know my business relies on being able to get shares and stuff i want to be able to tag you and let you know that the content is out there if i if i do produce something or i want to work with you i want to know how to find you (laughs) so make sure that you're easy to be found is it ever possible for an artist to send you too much information have you ever just been inundated where you're getting like you know 500 pages of something and you're like go away (laughs) Yeah, I definitely never, uh, I, I typically don't read emails that are, if I open it up and it looks like you've sent me a cover letter for a new job, you know, something that's like three or four paragraphs, it's probably way too much information. Yeah. You know, I, I want, I want uh, you to hook me right away and then just links to stuff. You know, here's the video, here's the SoundCloud, here's the photo, here's everything you need. And, you know, if I want to do a, if there's an exclusive opportunity or something like that, maybe you can always put that out there and I'll reach out if I want more information, but I should be able to go from what you've sent me to telling other people about it in the shortest amount of time possible. Love it. Uh, Cover letters, listeners, not rock and roll. So just to summarize, cover letters, not rock and roll, sleeping in your coffin after a show, totally rock and roll. Absolutely. (laughs) Right on. Um, Can can you talk about some other mistakes that you see artists make when, you know, going through this promotion process? Uh, a, A frequent problem that I see is just people blindly sending things. You know, a lot of my work through Holix comes down to helping fight piracy and people, a lot of people don't want to think about piracy as still being an issue anymore. You know, we've kind of been trained that the idea of YouTube and Spotify and services like that would curb piracy or otherwise give people, you know, legal means to uh, consume music. And a lot of us have chosen to make music ubiquitous on all those platforms. You know, you upload a song to TuneCore and it's on like a hundred retailers at once. That's good but that hasn't actually stopped piracy. In fact, in January, a new report was released that showed in 2017, more piracy, specifically music piracy, happened than any previous year on record. So as bad as piracy was when it was making the news headlines every night is about one-sixth as bad as it is today. There's almost 100 gigabytes of information every year taken just out of music. And it's in the United States alone, and that's not a global number. It's much higher than that. And it's only getting worse. So my advice to bands is to be smart about who you share your music with. It's it's not always about 
it, it's this tricky thing. You know, I, I just said that you want to make sure that I have everything I possibly need to know to cover your band. But at the same time, you got to protect your, you know, your material and the things you create. So when you're, you just got to be smart about your approach. I see artists all the time who are just sending one letter to as many outlets as they can find information on. You can send $20 and buy a contact list that has 10,000 writers on it, and people will send the same download link to 10,000 people, and they get upset when people don't want to pay for their music. You have to be smart about your business plan. You know, it just we, don't, we no longer live in an age where everybody is a fan of everything all the time. That is true, but real fandom, the kind of fans you need in order to build a career, in order to get money, in order to be a successful artist – that's a far more niche thing that requires a plan. It requires a methodical thinking and an approach to marketing that I don't think a lot of artists are using. The ones who do, the ones who realize that, you know, five fans who are willing to pay $10 for an album are better than 500 fans who would never give you a dime. Those are the ones that are starting to get ahead because they're, they're finding a way to kind of nurture these tiny communities and build something real from that. So be selective, make a plan and follow it. So your company, Holix, uh, is sort of an important component of this anti-piracy front in terms of helping mu- musicians protect their music. Uh, can you tell the folks a little bit about what Holix does in that regard? Yes, Holix is uh, a little promotional tidbit. It's, it's the leading digital promotional distribution platform. And what that means is that we work with record labels, publicists, and independent artists to share new and unreleased music without fear of piracy. Basically, whenever someone's trying to promote a new album, if you're an artist trying to get the attention of a manager, you're trying to land a booking agent, if you're a label trying to promote a new release to the radio or trying to get somebody to review an album, any of those situations, you might need to share music that isn't necessarily meant for public consumption, something you wouldn't put on YouTube or you wouldn't put on SoundCloud. That's where Holix comes in. People put albums on Holix before they're released and share them with members of the industry at large and anyone else that kind of needs to hear the record without fear of piracy. And we do that through watermarking technology, which allows for us to track not only who engages with the promo, but when it's downloaded and somebody unfortunately leaks it, which does happen, uh, we're able to track down who's responsible. And we also have you know, worked with technology that allows us to pull down links and automatically issue RIA takedowns and generally kind of be a force for somebody that in case something goes wrong with their music online. So if you want to check this service out, folks, you can go to Holix, that's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. James, I'd love to get sort of your perspective on how the definition or at least the approach to piracy has changed in the last 20 years. Because when I was coming of age in the 2000s, piracy was a really easy thing to get a hold of because it was, you know, it was Napster. People were trying to sell music as CDs and all of a sudden you had Napster just giving everything out for free, but... And so it was easy to say, okay, that's, you know, you know, piracy is really problematic. But now fast forward to today, and as you noted, you know, artists are giving music away a lot more. Art, the, the game is all about seeming to get your music out to as many people as possible, putting it on as many distribution platforms as possible. Given that we're in this new environment, does, does piracy look different now? Uh, do we, should, we, should artists even be as concerned with piracy as they should have been 20 years ago? Sorry, can you just repeat the very end of that? Uh, saying that, uh, could should artists be as concerned about piracy now as they would have been, say, 20 years ago, given the way that the way we put out music is different now? Yes, and in part, it's because of how the way we put out music has changed. Because you're right, it used to be it used to be kind of a simple formula. You would either go on Napster or Kazaa 
or any of those uh, LimeWire or something like that, you would download music. And if you didn't do that, or after a certain period, I'm sure you remember this, then the, the like blog leaks started to come about and people would use like Mediafire and Mega Upload and that's how people started to share. And it, that was... <sighs> that made things worse because we kind of got more and more decentralized, right? When it was just Napster, there was like one place to look for music to leak. And if your music ended up on there, you could find out you would just type in your band name and it'll pop up. And then when blogs kind of came into the picture, it got a lot more decentralized. Now there were hundreds, if not thousands of websites leaking music and blog leak sites still exist. There are still private forums that exist that share album links. All of that, all that community is still out there. You can still get Napster. You can still download, torrents and all that but now there's a whole new layer to that in, in the world of youtube and in streaming now we get into stream ripping you know people who will rip the audio from a video file or will rip the audio from a what you think is a secure stream on something like soundcloud maybe you don't make a download available but there are these companies that i figured out how to get into the algorithm of soundcloud and rip out the mp3 file this is where services like Hawks come into play. We offer something that those sites don't through our watermarking technology. Now, I don't know how it involved you were in the media side of things back in the early 2000s, but the very earliest versions of like watermarks and music were audible. You would be listening to a song like Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. And in the middle of the song, it would just cut to like a voiceover. So it'd be like, oops, bye. And then all the music would drop out. It'd be like, you are now listening to a release from Atlantic Records. <laughs> and then it would go back to the song and it would play like 30 seconds. And then it would happen again. So like every song, like six times, this voice would happen. And it made it really hard to review music. Um, <laughs> it really takes you, takes you out of the song. <laughs> some, yeah, it really kind of ruins the flow of something. <laughs> uh, and then after a while... And that was also when we had like physical media. And so you would get CDs in the mail that said like, warning, do not copy this. But if it didn't have one of those annoying audio watermarks, there's really nothing stopping you from just copying it and doing that. Well, people can still download music today. People can still stream it. What's changed is how watermarking technology works. And the best way I can explain it to you is that it, a watermark is basically an injection into an audio file that is non-audible, as in there's no, you can't hear it. No matter how good your hearing is, no matter how precise your sound is, it's just, it's not going to be heard. When audio is in a digital form, we basically inject some additional data into it that tracks the, that it's assigned to a particular user. So it has like your name, your IP location, where you're from, in our case, the site you write for, all of that information is stored within the file. If you download that file from Holix and then you, let's say, upload it to SoundCloud or you upload it to YouTube and somebody rips the audio from that clip, so you know, if you've pirated a song, it's put on YouTube and someone, and someone rips the audio from your YouTube link, I can take that audio rip that I find on some leak site, I can put it into the Holix system and it will tell it your name. Not, not the person who ripped it off YouTube, but the original source. You can't get rid of watermarks anymore by just downloading by copying a song and then putting it somewhere else like that used to be a way to kind of get rid of watermarks because like you know you make enough copies of something and eventually the original source kind of gets diluted today's watermarks don't work like that you can hold up a iphone recorder and record the audio playing through the speakers of a leaked song and if there's a watermark in it software will be able to detect it 
it's kind of crazy. We're that's, kind of living in the future. That's really brilliant. That's kind of cool. And a, a valuable tool in, you know, something that I know affects a lot of artists, which is piracy. That's outstanding. Uh, you can find out more about this company, folks, by visiting Holix, H-A-U-L-I-X.com. And you can find out more about our new friend James Shotwell by visiting, nicely enough, jamesshotwell.com. James, this has been a pleasure. That coffin story alone was worth the price of admission. <laughs> um, Thank you. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help Help them move their careers forward. My biggest advice that I always give people is to really think about what's happening when you're writing songs. Uh, as somebody that doesn't write songs myself, I used to be in a lot of bands. They were terrible. That's why I do the business side of music now. <laughs> as somebody who was one of those people, it took me a long time to realize that when you write a song, when you're creating something, when you're getting on stage with somebody, the act of what's actually happening, the idea the thought that you're you're taking an idea that was initially nothing, it popped into one person's head, and you've been able to teach it to the other people in your band, they've started to feel that. And then you perform a song. What's actually happening in that moment is that you're taking something that is wholly unique into you and the members of your group, and you're sharing it with the world. And if they accept it, if they're willing to take that idea into their own lives, you're going to change the way that they see the world. And there's a power in that that I don't feel a lot of artists realize. And that's why we see this glut of people who maybe blow up because they can release something catchy that doesn't ultimately make for a good career, or they're able to kind of get something going that never ultimately develops into longevity because they're, they're not looking at their ideas as something that has this shelf life that goes beyond the three minutes that somebody's possibly listening to it. If somebody really falls in love with a song and that moment that you really allow a song to kind of become the soundtrack to your life, as we like to say, the way you're seeing the world is changing and it's changing to reflect the outlook of the artist that crafted that song in the first place. And there's a power in that, that if an artist thinks about and wields correctly, they're able to really develop something special that even if it only catches a thousand people, it really takes them by storm. That's enough to support a career for longer than somebody that has a viral hit or has, you know, a summer on work tour. It's about, it's about, finding the ideas that can make not the world a better place, but just make somebody feel a bit better about their place in this world. Very nicely said indeed. Uh, Thank you so much, James. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to James Shotwell for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out more about his work and the stuff he's doing over at Holix by visiting www.jamesshotwell.com. All right, people, as promised, we are joined by one of our best friends of the podcast. Our co-host Dave is here. How's it going, Dave? Ryan, if that interview with Mr. Shotwell was done with a TV camera, I bet it was shot well. Did you do a rim shot? I can't yes, hear you, you can't okay. hear the sound effects, but I did give you your rim shot. <laughs> All right, good. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Hey, everyone. Hey, uh, BTB listeners, how's it going out there? So, I can't hear you. <laughs> we, we were just talking about this before we came on the interview. Um, 
How many people listening right now of, of the total, like what proportion know who you are? That's it. You're right. Cause I, uh, I did a show. Was it? We, I did episode 114. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think it was, was like, was that maybe like the first one in the new year or something like that. I, I, I did the, we did a Christmas show and then October. So it's possible, but there's still some people who have no idea who I am. And to those who, um, who don't know who I am, don't you freaking listen to me right now. Turn off. Okay. <laughs> How dare you try to listen to me? That's a privilege you have got to earn. You've got to go all the way back to episode one and hear about jello okay and for those of you who have stuck with the show you're welcome and thank you and i appreciate you laughing do you really want people going all the like all the way back to episode one i mean even for that wonderful jello reference i mean our timing was awful episode one we had to find our voice oh it sucked it was it was it was bad but whenever people tell me like, hey, Ryan, I'm going to get into your podcast, but I'm going to start from the beginning. I just go, God, no, please don't. <laughs> I say maybe like episode 20, maybe we yeah. start finding our footing. That's right. I don't know. But, you know, I, I feel like the show was different. I mean, obviously now with me uh, at, in a different city up in New Jersey, you know, you've obviously gotten way more serious with everything. You know, I feel like a lot of the joy is gone, a lot of the laughter, a lot of the love, a lot of the excitement, a lot of the caring. Really, it's just rote. It's old hat. There's no heart. There's no soul. It's just a might as well be a mechanized bot. Are you a bot? Because this is actually interesting. I haven't been there in a long time. I don't know. This is this is just a call. You could be a bot. You could be a Russian Facebook bot that's taken over the show and destroyed my friend Ryan. That's Vitanya, everybody. We'll see you next week. Okay. You can't hear it, but I was actually playing the outro music there. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, wait, which one of these pictures does not have a house in it? (laughs) You can't answer, can you? (laughs) You failed my test bot. (laughs) Anyway, um, yes, to everyone out there, uh, if if, if you're new to hearing my voice, I was the one that really didn't care about uh, the music industry as much. At all. It's 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 a... you know, hey, I want I want you all to succeed, but this guy was like, you know, giving a list on how to write an email. I'm not joking. <laughs> Go back to that episode. I don't remember which one it is because I burned it out of my brain. But literally a step by step, agonizing minutia level of just here's how you sign off on an email. It blew my mind <laughs> to this day. I could not believe this was actually happening, and it happened. And has anyone did anyone actually write back to you that that was a helpful thing? Everyone did. No one did. Every single like every person in the world said thank you so much, despite David's protestations for you giving all that great advice on email signatures. So there, how about that? Sincerely, I don't care. Anyway, <laughs> so we got you here, Dave, because you are our guy when it comes to movies. And Avengers: Infinity War is out. Apparently, it grossed like. 300 mil domestic opening like biggest uh, domestic think, opening in history something like that uh it's it's 250 mil you're exaggerated a bit it's like 600 uh it's, it's over 600 worldwide i think it's now number one um actually let me see i i uh, forgive me I, i'm doing this on my cell phone skype because the, the 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 landline skype the computer skype wasn't great uh marvel studios that could is now according to the hollywood reporter boasts six of the top ten opening weekends of all time. The Avengers held the previous mark with 207 million, then Black Panther 202, and now so that's been shattered by uh, Infinity War. 
uh, you know, with obviously with Star Wars in the tank also, Walt Disney is doing pretty good. Yeah, good times for the mouse. Oh, my God. Bob Iger's a friggin' genius. <laughs> well, I, I have you here, Dave, and uh-huh. I, I want you to give us a review of of Infinity War because uh, a lot of us, including yours truly, have not seen it. But because we haven't seen it, it needs to be a spoiler-free review. Can you Can you thread that needle for us? But of course, you fool. Is that, is that your Quebecois Dave character? Another, another thing for you originals out there, the ones that don't know what it is, shame on you. How dare you? Were you How yelling at them for? They you? already left. You already told them that's, to leave. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm that, the one guy that's going to be like, well, he doesn't know, but I do. <laughs> you don't think Apple has ways for us to know who tunes in live afterwards? So. <laughs> Right. So this 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 movie was very very hyped. Does it live up to the hype? Oh, dude, absolutely. And I okay, so I, I walked out of the theater probably about uh, an hour ago, and so it's fresh. Well, fresh reaction here. It, it is it is good. It is unlike anything I've ever seen in terms of taking tying together ten years worth of characters and story. And putting it all into one thing. And you would think that that and, and, and that is a massive undertaking because it could go wrong many ways. High degree you of serve, difficulty for sure. There's a lot of storylines and plots to service. I think they did it magnificently given the task at hand. It's two and a half hours. God knows what the cut could have been. If there's ever sort of Peter some sort of Peter if Peter Jackson did this movie, it probably would be ten hours. <laughs> But was this like the Russo brothers? So they did a great job moving between storylines, making sure we got some good time for every single person, um, setting things up very nicely. Um, it it was just so beautifully done, and man, oh man, you can't help but think. Actually, I'm, it, it's like I just want Warner Brothers to stop making DC movies. I just need them to stop. Well, they just have to quit now. Just quit. Use that <laughs> money elsewhere to fund other worthwhile projects. Maybe some mid-level type stuff. Find some more moonlights. Find some La La Lands. Get do some get outs. Get, <laughs> do take the money that you would have would have spent on the DC universe. Put it to something more interesting with some more life affirming projects. Because this movie, it, because all right, up to this point, I'm assuming people have seen some of the Avengers universe stuff, right? Sure. So I can talk about what's going on beforehand. We know Thanos is trying to get the Infinity Stones, right? And once he does, he'll have, like, all-consuming power and be able to, like, snuff out life, right? That's right. Okay. That's kind of heavy, right? (laughs) Very high stakes, yes. Okay. It does this. This movie does all that with light touches, the humor that you've come to know and love, especially from the certain characters which you expect it from. You've got the Guardians gang there, so you know that's good for light moments. You're also now mixing in people that we've never seen before and seeing how they interact. And it is fascinating and fun and funny. And it does, and it never gets the tone. It You never lose the, the okay. It, it's always fun. And there are certain times when you feel not so good, like any movie, such an arc. Sure, Obviously I think sure. people know that there's going to be some, maybe some sad parts. But you never feel down. You never feel bleak. They know what they're doing at every single turn. 
it was amazing. It was a masterpiece. There were times when I had, you know, tears in my eyes. And there were times where I'm laughing out loud at the theater. We were just like, <gasps> you know, just like gasping and everything. And it's it was fantastic. Never checked the watch once. So much was happening. So many places. All the care. I mean, everything works so well that you're like, fuck. How could they have done this? This is amazing that they've just done this. Right. So, because I mean, th- think about it, the only thing you have any sort of comparison to, really. Because I mean, I, I, maybe people think Star Wars, but think about it. Maybe Harry Potter is the only thing that kind of comes close to weaving in central story for a very long time and keeping characters. But even then, that's such a closed universe. That's the Harry Potter universe. It takes place really at Hogwarts, and that's it. And we just everything's kind of around here. Here we have a quite literal universal galactic scale, and you never feel like oh, I'm being pulled in all these different directions. You never feel like oh my wait wait what's going on? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's masterfully done. Everyone needs to see this movie. Well, how does it rank among the Marvel Cinematic Universe pantheon? Is it the best one they've done? You know, I was thinking about that in the car ride home because it's it's interesting because it's very. I feel like it stands alone because it's this whole big thing where it's not the unexpected pure fun of guardians of the galaxy that no one saw coming and it's not maybe the like absolute amazing and sort of like historical black panther where it's like wow i'm really witnessing something really cool here and important just culturally even captain america or iron man because for those you have the two hours two and a half hours dedicated to just the one character or the main characters here, obviously, because you have Iron Man, Spider-Man, Captain America, Dr. Strange, uh, Thor guard. You have what? Over 10 characters, probably like 15. Oh yeah. Main, main characters that have held their own films. And now you're introducing the main bad guy. Finally, with also his motivations. It's a very interesting movie. that stands apart on its own because it has to weave in all these different things. It definitely is absolutely amazing, but it's hard to quite compare it to Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, um, Guardians. Like to me, because like, here's the thing, it's very hard for me to sort of rank them, but um, like Thor Ragnarok was something I had never seen before in the Marvel Universe, so I absolutely loved it. Black Panther was also something I'd never seen before in the Marvel Universe, absolutely loved it. Gar- the first Guardians was something that was completely unexpected. We absolutely loved it. You know, I feel like this is something like that where it's, you've never seen this, but because it's made up of people you know already and you have all these storylines, it's just it's just it it stands alone. It really, really does. Like unlike anything we've ever seen. Well, I'm not a Denny's here, right, man? I don't want you serving me waffles. Let me. Where's my hard answer? Is it the best one or not? <laughs> you just want this is you just want a sports talk radio. There's no room for nuance. <laughs> You want Marino or Montana? It's Marino or Montana. Is it the best one? Like, am I about to put money down and go see the best Marvel movie ever? Or is it like third or fourth because, you know, Black Panther was great and the first Avengers was great? Like, wh- where am I? What am I in for? It's, it's one of the best Marvel movies to come out in the last 10 to 11 years. Waffling! <laughs> Belgian <'Cause>... waffles! Come on! <laughs> Did, you, did, did I really just give you that waffling rant and then you came back at me with, it's one of the best? C- are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Well, yeah, in the last 10 to 11 years, which was, was when it started. I know. <laughs> like, for all I know, this thing could be worse than Iron Man 2 because you're not giving me a straight answer. <laughs> 
It's not. It's not. It's for me. It's uh, it's top three. Oh. I don't know, man. I just love them. I just love them. Well, that's a good question. What's your top three? Like, you don't have to give me the order if if you can't if you're too much of a waffler to take a stand on this. But what's the top three Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? Well, you don't want to be prisoner of the moment and say then these three like because technically then if, if it's chronologically then it would be what Infinity War, Black Panther, Thor, Ragnarok, right? But also those these three are legitimately completely different than anything we had first. Um, I mean, obviously, Iron Man was like so amazing when we first saw. It. Were we in college at that point? So were we still at UM when, when Iron, Iron Man, Man came, came out? out, or were we already like was I already in law school and you were? I, I mean, don't know. Iron Man was was it two thousand eight? Oh God, no! Iron Man had to have been earlier than that. Hang on, wait. Let me no, look I it up. Was... Iron oh, Man. you're looking up. Yeah, sure. Iron Man. First Iron Man movie was oh was two thousand eight. Why did I think it was earlier than that? Maybe I'm thinking of the. You know, the really earlier Marvel movies like the the first Hulk, the Ang Lee Hulk movie. But yeah, okay, 10 oh, years ago, 2008. Like, what, uh, what was the month, by the way? Was that a May? May 2nd, 2008. So we were probably just starting up with we final were exams. In, we, we were in final exams for a senior year at the University of Miami. God, that's a long time ago. So we, we probably like didn't adequately study for a final exam just so we could go see Iron Man. Okay, so remember, up to that point, what had we what had we seen? We'd seen the prequels, which, you know, as a, as a massive Star Wars fan, I was like kind of fine with, but it left a lot to be desired. We saw what 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 would they give us? They gave us Daredevil. Yeah, you know, we had a lot of like just weird kind of stuff. I mean, you had the you had the Chris Nolan Batman movies. That's right. But still, so we Iron had, Man. We had the the Tobey Maguire Spider Man movies. Yeah, and so like the first one was great. All that, but think I remember like Iron Man kind of blew everything out of the water. I was like, wow, that's a great friggin' movie because yeah. Robert Downey Jr. was a revelation. And then we start off and we have Captain America, which is also a revelation. The first Thor was good, but it wasn't like those other t- first two movies that started up. So like I said, man, it, it, it evolves, man. It fucking evolves, okay? Stop being prisoner of the moment. Top three. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. No, what are you doing? Uh, Force Awakens. <laughs> We're in oh, this no? universe, not the galaxy far, far away. Okay, so, all right, how about uh, Casablanca, uh, <laughs> Key Largo, and, what, didn't you want the top three Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> of course I did. Mal- yeah. Maltese Falcon, too. You um, know what, the only other thing that's even possible is, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it or any of the viewers have, uh, Turner Classic Movies, back, like, there was a movie called Hollywood Canteen, and there was a few of these other types, that all they were was basically... Uh, a PR movie to buy to sell war bonds because it was basically like what 1941 maybe 1942 had all Hollywood all of Hollywood uh, even people in different studios under different contracts in together doing this whole like one story sort of thing working at the Hollywood canteen this real place you know uh, during like you know servicing GIs and serving them drinks and all that and there was this whole thing this one guy who wanted to go out and like fell in love with actor Joan Leslie um that's the only thing that even comes close to my mind, the adventures. Like that's the, the that was the infinity screen. war of the of World War II era? Yes. Back in <laughs> yeah, nineteen like forty ones or forty twos Hollywood Canteen with Betty Davis, Joan Leslie, uh I mean Roy Roy, uh, Roy Bolger. I mean, you're just recycling old takes now because like whenever I go to the Comic Cons, all I hear people telling me is that oh, Infinity War is just a you know can't what was the name of that movie <laughs> hollywood canteen up. it's just a hollywood canteen derivative that's i mean everybody's saying that dave like bring us something I new know. 
I, I, I even, there was even a guy in the theater that said, where's Roy Bulger? <laughs> I'll tell you. Roy Bulger's looking out for Roy Bulger. Man, that is a great Simpsons reference. By the way, speaking of is the it Simpsons, Ray? I think it was Ray. it's I Ray Bulger. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I was going to let you slide it. on it, though. Um, Go ahead. Apparently, <laughs> with the episode of The Simpsons that come that is coming out tonight, I just saw on Twitter, is going to be the episode that breaks the all-time record for longest-running scripted series. The Simpsons finally overtook Gunsmoke. Hey, all right. I mean, we all stopped nice. watching The Simpsons 15 years ago, but... All right, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you hijacking my movie segment? <laughs> because you were drifting into Hollywood canteen, man. I had, anyway, to bring you, I had to bring you back into this millennium. Anyway, go see Avengers Infinity War. Don't spoil it for people that haven't seen it yet. Don't be a spoiler. Spoilers, people who spoil suck, and they should be placed in a movie prison. Ryan, you're asking, what's a movie prison? Uh, yeah, I'll what tell is a you. movie <laughs> It's a prison. Which the only film you are shown on a continuous loop while you are fed and nourished is Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> I've never seen that one. Is that a bad movie? Oh my god, it's so bad. Really? Yeah. Dude, okay. I watched it because my other my favorite podcast, Had This Get Made, is gonna be talking about it on an upcoming upcoming episode. I had never seen it, and I saw that it was actually leaving Netflix May 1st. So I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me just watch it. Ugh. Really? So bad, bro. Dude, okay. Spoilers, okay, because this movie came out, whatever. I'm just going to talk about this It movie. came out 14 years ago. Do you remember like who was on the poster or like who the main well, person is in that movie? I'm looking at it now. You got Gwyneth Paltrow, Jude Law, and Angelina Jolie in 2004, which is the height of all of their collective powers. How could this have been a bad movie? For one, Angelina Jolie does not show up until like an hour and five minutes into the movie, over the halfway point. And then she's only there for maybe 10 minutes, and that is it. Oh, wow. And... It's like, wait a minute, I thought she was like a main character. She's not. Has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Gwyneth Paltrow is one of the worst people ever. <laughs> wow. And I'm watching this thinking, oh, maybe this is also why people hate her. <laughs> <laughs> Coupled with her, like, what is it? Like her ultra-privileged cookbooks and all this. Like, of course you can feed your family on as little as $10,000 a day. Sort of... Uh, type thing it she was so bad she was so bad to our the, the protagonist jude law there were so many things left undone you get it, it steals from it steals from king kong there's a scene where they're on this island with dinosaurs you never know how they get there there's this front door guarded by a, a skeleton of this huge ancient creature it looks like it was badass with a, with a chain so let's go through there and then the chain moves off to the side, and you don't see it, but you know another one's alive. You're like, on second, let's go around. You never, ever see that animal. <laughs> okay. It's, it, they've never heard of Chekhov's gun. Right. You know, if you introduce a gun, you got to fire it. Right. There are so many firearms left unfired. Oh, man, that's, that's so shocking, because if you just tell me in a vacuum, it's 2004, I'm pitching a movie that's got Gwyneth Paltrow, Jude Law, and Angelina Jolie in it in 2004... I mean, it's terrible. That's I mean, wow. Wow. It's terribly, it's wow. terribly written, terribly written, terrible dialogue. The like no loose ends are given, no explanations for things. You think you're going to find something out. You don't. It is the worst. Even the style that they try to do it in that whole like 1940s serial thing or 
That's it's so dumb and adds nothing. It is pure crap. Wow. Well, you'd be happy to know it actually lost twelve million dollars. It was it was made for seventy million and only took in about fifty eight million in the box office. So what was the studio? It was ooh man, uh, Paramount. Paramount. Paramount is your studio. Ugh. misfire (laughs) misfire misfire yeah not like avengers um what else was there anything else interesting oh they had had another trailer for jurassic world that's gave away so much more in this trailer i'm like you idiots why do i need to see the movie now they just gave away some like some like things that like were set up in the teasers and it's like oh my god you, you jackasses all right, all right. Well, we I, had another solo trip. Ooh, solo dude next month. Solo. Are you excited for that? Because I, I, I am excited. I've heard mixed like kind of sentiment from people about this movie. Like, are you, you're on board with it? I'm excited for every single Star Wars release. I don't know. Maybe people can't go by me because you know Star Wars. All right, you. Um, for those of you who've never but, listened to Dave on this podcast, he he he's a he's a bit of a Star Wars fan. And for those of you who've never listened, how dare you? <laughs> but you. But, um, no, go ahead. It does look like, um, was it Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian is just going to straight up yes. steal the movie? Like, everything I've seen is that he's apparently crushing it in this movie. I, it should be. He's charming. He's yeah. wonderful. He's a delightful actor. He's great. He, he sort of uh, does well in everything he does, right? I mean, that should be no surprise. You've got uh, Al- Alden Ehrenreich. Did I say that right? You're asking me? Alden? Arden? Alden? Yeah, I don't know. You've got a computer in front of you. Well, you, you were you were calling him Roy Bolger earlier, so you're all kind of all over the place. So, Yeah, uh, was it Woody Harrelson, uh, Amelia Clark? Looks like I think it's going to be good. You know, I don't know. I think people are like, oh, Ron Howard. It's like, I just, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's going to be great when all of a sudden they're flying through and they see like a burnt out part of a capsule that says... Uh, <laughs> Apollo 13 on it and they'll be like wow that explosion at the oxygen tank went all the way up to the heat shield I wonder if they made it <laughs> so you you actually see this Han Solo Star Wars movie merging with another Ron Howard classic Apollo 13 despite them taking place in completely different galaxies yes and then on one of the maybe the planets we see there's a fish tank with Daryl Hannah swimming by and Tom Hanks oh and then uh, Fonzie and Potsy and Ralph Malf show up, and it just gets really crazy. Yeah, and then um, I think, uh, what is it, Russell Crowe then is like a mathematician. <laughs> I think it just brings in everything in the Howard universe. The Howardverse, I believe, is what they The Howardverse, yes. In fact, <laughs> I truly hope that Clint is in it. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. In all the Ron Howard movies, Clint Howard is there. Yes, and I feel Apollo 13, I think, was his biggest and best role yeah he had a lot of screen time in that a lot more than he usually gets but i the, feel like he could fit. dying well it's reading a quadruple failure that can't happen <laughs> that can't it's got to be instrumental Gene, yeah sorry Gene, the odyssey is dying from where i'm sitting this is the last this is all what this is our last option <laughs> Very good, Clint Howard. Okay. Nobody knows what we're talking yeah. about. All right, all right, all right, all right. I know you. I know you could talk forever about movies, but you're about to make this like a three-hour episode. Um, we're gonna have you on a lot more often, Dave, to talk about movies because you bring us lots of joy. Is that cool? Oh, well, are we finally? Do we finally get the, the contracts negotiated? That's right. I think we hammered out the deal. Yes, that's right. I finally pinned this guy to the wall, and finally he's gonna respect those damn unions. 
All right. Uh, our thanks to James Shotwell for joining us this week. My thanks to you, Dave, for being here and bringing us lots oh, of happiness. My thanks to you, Ryan, and everyone out there listening to the show. And those of you who, again, who have never listened to me before, you better go back and listen to every single one. I swear to God, you better listen. Listen, listen. You'll also get some great tips from Ryan and hear some pa- some fun past guests. <laughs> You know, somewhere along the way, yes. I mean, somewhere. There, let's let's be honest. They're not all winners, but you know, hey, at least uh, you got me and Ryan together. That's fun. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We will see you next week. Later. <laughs>